can have a seat as we pray. Father, what a day of contrast. We just recognize there are people grieving across this world. We lift up all the families that we've already, we've already lifted up to you, but we recognize that they are going to need continued prayer and support. And I pray, Lord, that you would mobilize your church to be that support you would embody our values in our faith by, by leading us to reach out to give. And yet here we are this morning in the joy and rejoicing of, of this preschool, of the kids, of the next generation, leading us into the kingdom as Jesus said they would. And, and I pray, Lord, that, that you would help us turn our eyes and our hearts to the children to, to see in them what Jesus expects us to see in them and the way that they truly do lead us into the kingdom. I'm reminded of this, of the verse where it says, all creation is groaning. All creation is groaning, awaiting for the revealing of the glory of the children of God. So as creation groans across this world and there are earthquakes and there are famines and there are people suffering, I pray that the children here could show us what it's groaning for. This day, this hope of a great reunion when all of God's children will be brought back together in the land of the living under the lordship of Christ and the fatherhood of God, the one that we all look to you and call as our father. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, first of all, there will be a few more distractions than there are normally in a Sunday service, and we welcome the distractions, okay? Jesus said, yeah, give him a hand, because Jesus said that, uh, that, that if the kids aren't welcome, nobody's welcome, as we'll see today. So, but kids, I want to ask you a question. Jesus said that there was going to be a special group that would lead this world into the kingdom of God. Do you know who it is? Well, it wasn't really Jesus. Jesus actually said it was some special group that he named. Any other guesses? Ah, that's right. Someone said it. It's you. It's the children. That's right. Give them a hand. That's what Jesus said. Unless you become like little children, Jesus says, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 18. So let's look at Jesus' words together about how the children are going to lead us into the kingdom of God. You can turn to Matthew 18 if you've got a Bible. If you don't, there's some in the seat pocket in front of you. All the great Bibles are in the lost and found, and if people haven't claimed them yet, you know, they don't deserve them anyway. So pick one up on your way out. I'm just kidding. Okay, um, now, I have to be honest before we get started. The meaning of Jesus' words are not exactly self-evident to me as a parent. You see, it's easy to romanticize children as long as you're not raising them. <clears throat> But, but being told that we have to become like the children leads me just to a few honest questions and wonderings. Like, for example, I wonder if Jesus ever had the, the, the wonderful and sanctifying privilege of ever putting children to bed. 
Because am I really supposed to be like my children at bedtime? That's the question. Am I supposed to look for every excuse possible to resist the instructions of my authority, God? <laughs> well, that's what we're going to explore today. And we'll begin with just a distinction between, between the difference between being childish, being childish and being childlike. There's a difference between childishness and childlikeness. Childlikeness is about the heart of a child, the innocence of a child, the purity of heart that children have. Childishness is more like the behavior of a child, particularly behavior demonstrated at bedtime. So, so understand that there is a distinction that we're talking about so that by the end of the service, hopefully we can all repent and become like children, and our children can repent and go to bed when we say they have to, okay? So, yes, amen to that. All right, so read with me uh, just the first six verses in, in chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew. It says this, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is the word of God. Well, that's a pretty intense ending, I know, but we'll get to that. Uh, I, I want to just draw your attention to four simple lessons from this text about what Jesus means when he, when he says that we have to become like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the first is about the faith of a child. That's what Jesus says that he was concerned about in this text. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it's better, it's bad news for them, in other words. Uh, that's what Jesus is concerned about. And he's assuming that children have this kind of inherent belief in him. That, that children, that he says elsewhere that when he pulls a child as a kind of teaching prop, and in another place he says, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Children are already belonging to the kingdom in the way adults aren't until they become like children, according to Jesus, according to him. But, but he is concerned with their faith. Children have the, this kind of childlike faith. And I know what you're probably thinking. You probably think I'm going to say something about childlike faith being simple. Simple and uncritical and unquestioning faith. And there's certainly something to be said about that. But I don't want to point to the simplicity of a child's faith today. I want to actually point to the seriousness of childlike faith today, okay? This is a, this is a quote from, a, actually it's an atheist named Julian Barnes in a book he wrote called Nothing to be Frightened of. And in this book, he's struggling with faith. 
both his faith as an atheist, sometimes he doubts his faith in atheism, which is the book uh, spells out. But, but on the other side, he, he can't really bring himself to the kind of faith in God he imagines is absolutely necessary if there is faith in God at all. Listen to what he says. And, and by the way, he, he's basing this on observations he's made from people who claim to be Christians, claim to have faith, but don't really seem to take their faith very seriously. He says this, what's the point of faith unless you and it are serious, seriously serious, unless your faith fills, directs, stains, and sustains your life? That's the question he asks. It's a good question, I think, and I think he's on to something. And this is a kind of faith that I've seen demonstrated among adults some, but never like I have my own children, and in particular, Maccabee. I want to tell a story about Maccabee, wherever he is. is he, oh, he's, where is he? He's helping right now. There he is, living out his faith. Okay, so in this, uh, I, asked, I was asking my wife about the details to this story last night, and they are kind of fuzzy in the way memories you try to suppress are fuzzy memories. Uh, so the long and short of it is Maccabee was, I don't know, three or four years old maybe, and, and Keldy's out yard doing yard work or something, outside doing yard work or something, and she noticed Maccabee all of a sudden walking around on the roof of our house. <laughs> Maccabee, honey, stay there. I'm coming up. So she comes up and brings him back through the win window, and when she got him in, I'm sure totally calmly, without raising her voice, I'm sure she asked, what in the world were you thinking, you know? <laughs> and he seriously and confidently, he said, oh, I'm just playing on the roof. Honey, but what if you fell off? And he said this, without, without a second thought. He said, oh, well, that's okay, because if I fall off, Jesus will just raise me from the dead. <laughs> No big deal, Mom. <laughs> we then had to explain to him something about the timeline of the resurrection and how that's true, but it wouldn't necessarily be for a long time. But I can't help but admire the seriousness of his faith. He was dead serious about his faith, truly. Uh, but, but that's because... He really believes in the promises of God and assumes that he can just live accordingly, live fearlessly in the face of death. Because is it Jesus going to raise us from the dead? That's the promise. That's the promise. And there's a seriousness to childlike faith that I think a lot of us adults can learn from. So the seriousness of faith, that's lesson number one. And uh, this leads to lesson number two. Here we go. Lesson number two. Am I going backwards? Oh, okay, there we go. Uh, children embody the values of the kingdom. So G Jesus actually brings the child up and makes them kind of a prop, like I said, a teaching prop, and says, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, why does Jesus make children the exemplars of the kingdom? And what I'm suggesting, if I need that handheld mic, you should uh, maybe bring it if it's going to keep doing that. But, um, but 
I'm, I'm suggesting it's because children embody kingdom values. Children embody kingdom values. Yeah, go ahead and give me that. Let's, let's go with the handheld, all right? Okay, so like I said, um, at my house, uh, um, our, our bedtime ritual is something like a, a Barnum and Bailey's Act and D-Day mixed all into one, okay? Um, it, it doesn't help that all four of my kids still insist on sharing one room together, okay? So we have four kids, one boy, three girls, and they all just, what did I say? One, boy, one girl, three boys, good Lord. I hope that wasn't prophetic. We don't need any more. <laughs> uh, but they all insist on they all insist on sleeping in the same room. So so at bedtime, which is 7 p.m. sharp at my house, and I mean it, kids, 7 p.m. Uh, the, the the monkeys come out armed and dangerous, and they literally go insane every night at seven o'clock. It's like clockwork; they go insane. So we have invested in tranquilizer guns, which has been helpful. <laughs> Melatonin is what I know. <laughs> I'll call CPS. I don't care. Uh, we what after we read to them, wrestle them into submission. Eventually, uh, you know, once we've tucked them into bed. Uh, like you would uh, an insane person with a straight jacket. Um, we walk out of the room, and then finally, there's silence. I have to pee! <laughs> oh, I had a bad thought! <laughs> I need water! You know, any excuse possible to not go to bed. And eventually, but eventually, uh, by midnight, they're asleep. You know, <laughs> midnight sharp, okay? Um, and then, and then they're not allowed to come out of the room till 7 a.m. And, and we're serious about that as well. Actually, even more serious about that. But, uh, but typically they're up before that. They're ready to get out of bed. They just want to be up and out and about. And I was just thinking about this uh, the other day, thinking about this idea of following children's example, even at bedtime. And I think... Yeah, maybe even at bedtime in this. If you think about the heart of a child as it relates to not wanting to go to bed and being the first one to be awake, it's simply for this reason. Children love life. Children love life. They can't wait to get up. They, they don't want to go to sleep. And it's because they want to live. They, they want to eat and play and go outside and explore. And they have no inhibitions. They're not worried about self-image. They're not worried about their social status. They're just excited to be alive because life is just worth living. And they are modeling the kind of love of life that Jesus invites all of us into. In the Gospel of John chapter 10, he says it. He says, I have come to get, that you might have life and have it in abundance. Nobody has abundance of life like children. Spilling over life in the overflow of the love of life that they have inherently. Now imagine, could you imagine your workplace if, if everyone there loved life like children love life? How would that change your workplace, your home atmosphere, your relationships in general, where people were just all in because they were alive? It would, it would change this whole world, wouldn't it? If we just love life like children love life. If we love like them and laugh like them, the world would just be a better place, wouldn't it? 
It would. And children not only love life, but they also love family. Children love family. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of sibling rivalries and even parent-child wars in our house sometimes. But for the most part, our kids love each other, and they love us, and we love them. And, and the, the best picture of this that I've shared before, but to me, it is a perfect picture of the love of family. It's when Keldy and I, my wife and I, will be standing in the kitchen or something and just kind of holding each other or, or you know, grossing our kids out, uh, our boys out in particular. But, but my daughter, and she's done this multiple times, she will come up and she wants to be part of this little circle of love. And, and so we'll pick her up and hold her in between us. And she got into the habit a while back of when we'd pick her up, she would say, now kiss. And she would just want to, eventually she'll be grossed out by that too. But, but what, is it that she, what, what is it that she's a, attracted to? What is it that she's drawn to? She's not asking us to kiss. She just wants to see us kiss and to love each other. It's because that image of mom and dad loving each other, it's the love of family that every child has. It's why, it's why the younger they are, this is true, and as kids get older, they're sick of family for a season, aren't they? But, but the younger they are, the more they want all mom and dad to be, be together. Even if we're just watching a movie and not even interacting with each other, they want us to be there on the couch with them. It's because they love when we're all together. They love when we're all in the same space, the sharing of family presence. Wouldn't it be amazing if parents were like that in that sense? If every parent in the world stayed home with that heart in, 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 at the center. If every parent in the world loved the family like children love the family, long for the family, want the family to be together, the world would be a better place. I tell you what, that would fix so many problems in this nation, would it not? Right? Children love family. And this, is, this comes right out of the heart of God. You know, in John chapter 14, Jesus himself said, I will not leave you as orphans, like, no, like a child with no parents in, in their embrace of one another. But I will come to you, and when I do, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's saying, in the Father and Son's embrace, there will come a day when I return, I'm going to bring you back up into that embrace in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be brought into the circle of divine love and the way we bring up little Radley into the circle of her parents' love. That's the very promise of the gospel, that we're being included in the triune love of God in the end, ultimately. And that begins now in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's lesson number two. Lesson number three, children reveal the truth of human value. Children reveal the truth of human value. And this comes simply from the observation that he puts a child in their midst, the, the, the question of value is actually how this story was raised, uh, the occasion for the story. Remember, Jesus, the, the, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so they're, they're asking a question of human value. And to their question, Jesus puts a child in their midst. And he says, you want to see what's valuable? Look here. But what they're observing is the same thing that we observe. Some people in this world seem to be treated as more valuable than others. 
They seem to be perceived as more valuable than others. They, they have books written about them, movies made about them. They have paparazzi following them around. They are, there are American idols, the, the, our heroes, the people that we idolize. They have more Facebook likes and Instagram hearts than other people, okay? And, and some people even have a blue check mark by their name, right? And they are, no, you guys are really not into it, are you? I don't have Twitter either, so, so we're all in good company here. But, but it's a hierarchy of human value, right? And, and so the question of human value in the kingdom is what was raised by the disciples. And Jesus calls to himself one of these little preschoolers. He says, you want to see human value? Look here. And if you can't see it here, you can't see it at all. What you see is this facade, this human hierarchy that values and devalues people for superficial reasons. And if you can't see the value of a human being and the value of a child, then you are blind to it. And the reason for this is actually very simple. All you have to do is, is a little thought experiment. And uh, it sounds maybe a little morbid, but, and, and, and I'll do my best to, to keep the adult stuff to the adults so the kids can't entirely understand what I'm saying. But, but I want you to understand this because I think it's an extremely important point that children reveal the truth of human value in the way no one else can. And, and I don't know a better way to say it. But think of, say, the most valuable person by our culture's standards that comes to mind. The greatest celebrity or public figure or politician, uh, whatever, you know, pick your poison, right? But um, someone you might associate with the highest office or expression of human value. Now imagine tomorrow morning you wake up and you read the headlines. Tragic news. They kicked the bucket. Okay? You see what I'm saying? And you might be sad or affected by that at some level. Now, you know as well as me that in the world's eyes, presidents and pop stars and preschoolers are not on the same hierarchy of human value, are they? You, right? I mean, you don't even read that about, you know, the same thing happening to a preschooler in the headlines anywhere. It would just be something that happened and no one would hear about it because they're not as valuable in the world's eyes. But imagine it happened to you, your preschooler, right? Your child. The fact is, you can imagine that the most important person on earth by the world's standards, you would probably not even shed a tear before getting over that. But you lose your own child, you'd never get over it, would you? You'd never get over it. Why is that? It's one of two reasons. It's either because you're delusional about the value of your own child. And every, I mean, because we can all agree that every human being is equally valuable, right? And so you're either delusional about the value of your child or your child reveals the truth of every human being, the value of every human being, that God has given you a window into the truth of the kingdom of God into the reality of earth as it is uh, uh, of earth as it is in heaven and in your child you see a little window through the veil of this world and see the infinite dignity of every human being and that's a powerful and convicting reality isn't it because you are not delusional 
You, what you see in your child is the truth. Infinite value. It's just true of everyone. Uh, and everyone else, we're typically blind to their value, aren't they? Right? But imagine if we allowed that truth of human value that we see in our own children to shape our values about every human being. Shape the way we live. Shape what we cared about. Shape what we prayed about. Shape what we gave to. That would, that would change this world, wouldn't it? You see why Jesus wants us to follow the children into the kingdom? Because they're the only ones who can help us change the world. And then lastly, this leads to the last point. Uh, and, and it comes out of what Jesus says, this fourth lesson, that seems, again, kind of harsh. He says, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why would he draw such a hard line here? And the reason is actually pretty simple. The reason is, the reason he says it and the reason it's true is because to, to become like children, the reason you have to become like children to enter the kingdom of heaven is because everyone who enters the kingdom of heaven becomes a child of God. That's the reason. You see, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's not just about your citizenship in this place called heaven that God is bringing to earth in the end, as the book of Revelation describes. It's not just about a place. It's about your relationship with God fundamentally changes as an heir of that kingdom. You become adopted into the family of God. It's what Paul says when he says, you didn't receive the spirit of adoption to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit crying out, saying, Abba, Father, the spirit of adoption as children by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you see what that's saying? That's saying that in Jesus Christ, the whole point of God sending his own son into this world was to adopt you as sons and daughters of God's own for his kingdom. That's amazing news. Now, I don't know what you grew up believing about the gospel or about God or about the church, but that, this last point is the one I want you to, leave, to, want to leave you with, if, and if you remember nothing else, that you would remember this. Simply that the gospel is about our adoption as children. The gospel is about our adoption as children. It's not about the rules that you should follow if you want to be a member of God's family or a part of the church. Or It's not about religion. It's not about any of that. It's about the fact that God sent his son into the world to forgive us of our sins. Okay, that's number one. That's the heart of the gospel. But that's not the goal of the gospel. It wasn't just to forgive you, declare, you know, your, your judgment, that you're forgiven, and then to let you loose. That, that, that would be what a judge only would do. God doesn't want you to know him as judge only. He wants you to know him as a judge who happens also to be your father and who happens also to want to adopt you into his family for all eternity. And not only that, but he sent his own son to die for you to make sure that happened. So I don't know what else you've believed or been taught about God or the gospel, but if you haven't been taught this, you've been told a lie. 
You've been told a bit, sold a bill of goods, and it's empty. The gospel is about your adoption as children, and everything else has to align to that, wrap itself around that. And if it doesn't, it becomes part of a great deception to make you afraid of God and walk away from God. God's kindness draws us to repentance. Amen? And so my hope is that you will hear the kindness of the Father in the Word of God today, from the Word of God today, and that you would be drawn to repentance. That is to change your mind. That's what repentance means, to change your mind, what you believe about God, that you really would see Him as Father, and that these little kids would also repent and change their mind about bedtime. Amen? Okay. And so with that, I want to just... I want to just uh, invite you into one of our little family traditions here today. And uh, if I could have everyone stand and have the worship team come forward. Every month we do a blessing over our children, and we do it according to God's word. In the numbers, the book of Numbers chapter 6, it, it, it says that, that the adult generation, and in that case the priests, but in the New Testament we're all called priests, uh, and so, basically, we're all called to do what this is commanded of the priest to do in Numbers chapter 6, which is to raise up the next generation under the blessing of God. That's all right. She, oh, she heard of kids could be teaching props, I guess. So. <laughs> but but in, in, this com, in this blessing, or this command of the priest, um, God says to the priest, he says, I want you to bless the next generation. And, and when you put this blessing on them, I will bless them. And so this is a tradition we do monthly at our church, but we want to invite you into that tradition. So we invite you to just stretch out a hand or just say these words with us, but direct your heart toward your child, turn your face to your child and pray that, say this blessing with a prayer that God would do what he said he would do. Because God always does what he says he will do. And so we invite you to bless the children with us right now. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Well, we'd love to invite everyone to stay back. And there were some refreshments in the Generation Center uh, just um, next to the lobby. Uh, you'll see it on the left as you walk out. And so we invite you to stay back, mingle, uh, shake a hand, get to know someone. And um, we will have the worship stay. And if anyone would like to come up for prayer or maybe have questions about what was said, maybe this is your first time to a church and uh, you're just curious, I would encourage you to hang back and, and we'll talk with you and someone would pray with you if that's what you want as well. But for those as we go, I just want to put this blessing on everyone, which comes out of the book of 1 John and God's Word, it says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. There's lots of different kinds of loves. What is it? What is the kind of love that God has given us in Jesus Christ? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Go in the confidence of God's grace today. Amen? Amen. Amen.